This week's reading for Christ the King Sunday comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. When they came to a place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. The people stood by watching, but the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was an inscription also over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Indeed, we have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. When I think back, I can remember the first movie that I ever saw more than one time in the movie theater. Now, there's a lot of movies I've seen multiple times, but the very first movie I ever saw more than one time in the movie theater was Titanic. came out back, uh, it was my, my freshman year of college, and I can remember very vividly that the, the girl I was dating at that time wanted to go see Titanic. It was supposed to be a wonderful love story, all romantic, you know, aside from the whole, like, boat sinking and a lot of people dying thing. But she wanted to see it, so we went and saw it. And then, like, a week later, she wanted to see it again, so we went back and saw it again. So I saw it more than one time. Now, thinking about the movie Titanic, at one point, the highest grossing movie of all time. It's been dethroned of that, but... Thinking about that, there are many, many iconic moments and iconic images, but I think the one that comes to mind for me most prominently, it might as well have been the tagline of the entire movie or the image that everyone thinks of, is very early on, it's right as the boat is embarking away to to set sail to go across the Atlantic, and our hero, Jack Dawson, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, he has literally gambled his way onto the Titanic, and he and his friend that is with him, they go running through the boat and up onto the deck, out to the very point, the very end, and he jumps up, and he's so excited that he throws his arms out, and he says, I'm king of the world! I want you to take that idea and that image king of the world, and tuck it in the back of your minds and think about that, because it's pretty on point today. And in fact, this reminds me of something that's very, very applicable that ironically happened the summer right after Titanic came out, and something that I was involved with in the days when I used to work at Bible camp. Now, I spent a couple of summers working at Bible camp, and this one in particular, there was an ongoing thing that we did with every single week with the different groups of kids that were there. We would, it was called the Christ Walk. And we would act out at various moments uh, from the gospel stories about Jesus, his life and his death and his ministry and kind of all of that stuff we would act it out at different points. Now that included what is arguably one of the most important moments in the gospels and that is the crucifixion of Jesus. The crucifixion is one of the few stories that is present in all four gospels and I always believe that when something is present in all four, we really need to pay attention to it. Side note from that, though, 
It's also worth mentioning that when stories show up in multiple gospels or in more than one gospel, it's also really important to pay attention to the various aspects that are different. And this particular version, Luke's gospel, or Luke's version of the crucifixion was the one that we were acting out at the Bible camp. Now, here's why I remember this whole thing and why I'm thinking about it. We had the three crosses. Now, one in the middle was up very, very high, and one of the other staff members, he was always Jesus. So as we were getting ready, he would quick scamper up a ladder and get himself into place on a little platform that he would stand on. But the other two crosses were at ground level. And I was the perfect height to basically stand right in front of it to be one of the two criminals. And I always ended up with the, the, the role of the one called the good criminal, who we hear that Jesus has the encounter, the back and forth with in our story today. It was in this moment, or these, this ongoing series of moments, that I discovered that I'm a little bit of a method actor when it comes to theater-type situations because I would always refuse to put on bug spray. Now, here's why that's important. The location where these crosses were were right down next to the lake with a lot of really tall grass around them in the summertime in the upper Midwest. And by the point when we would reach this moment in the Christ walk itself, dusk was setting in. And if you are familiar with the Midwest, you know that around dusk in the summertime, that's when the mosquitoes come out. And as I would stand there with my arms outstretched, the mosquitoes would land all over my arms and legs. And this is why I didn't wear bug spray, because I wanted them to bite me. I wanted them to, uh, to do that so that it would be bothering me and I could therefore harness the agony that was important. Because make no mistake, death on the cross was agony. Let's talk about crucifixion, shall we? I don't think any of us would try and make an argument that crucifixion was nice, even though many, many people wear a cross or and sometimes with, with the image of Jesus on it, and it's, it's now a symbol of faith and hope for us. In the time, it was anything but that. Crucifixion was a method of torturous execution that was perfected by the Roman authorities, and it was utilized from the perspective of being an example. Now, again, let's talk about crucifixion and just how agonizingly brutal it was. In order to be crucified, the individual has their arms outstretched and they are literally nailed to this crossbeam. Now, we tend to have images of the holes in Jesus' hands that we think about. That's not entirely accurate because you will be hanging, the individual will be hanging from those nails, and anything that would be put through the flesh of your hand eventually, just because of your bone structure, gravity would pull down and it would tear through. So the nails would have actually been in his wrists, put through his wrists where the various bones come together. It's an anchor point that you would then hang from. Now here's the thing about that. As your body weight is hanging down, as gravity is pulling you down, very, very quickly, your arms lose the strength to hold yourself up. And as you are literally hanging from those nails, the pressure happens on your chest cavity, specifically around your lungs, making it nearly impossible for you to breathe. Eventually, death by crucifixion comes about through asphyxiation. You suffocate to death. This is where your feet come in. We've also seen images of the holes in Jesus' feet, and that is actually pretty accurate. 
they would nail your feet to the beam or the tree or whatever they were, whatever was being utilized for the crucifixion with just enough bend in your knees that if you pushed your weight down against that nail, that spike that is driven through your flesh, it would lift you up to take just enough pressure off of your chest that you could take a gasping breath and continue living. This would go on for hours, hours, sometimes even days. It was not a quick death. And during the time that you are hanging there, going through this torturous method of execution, you are at the, the, the mercy of the elements. If the sun is beating down on you, nothing you can do about it. If, if birds are flying by and pecking at you, nothing you can do about it. If the bugs are biting you, nothing you can do about it. It was intended to be horrific and horrible because it was an example of what happens when you rise up against the Romans. Now let's think about it. We hear in the scripture that Jesus has gone out to this place that's called Golgotha, or the place of the skull, was outside the city at the time, probably along a road, and this was also intentional. Whenever there was a community or an area that had someone rise up against the Romans, this is what they did. They hung them on a cross as an example for everyone walking by to see that's what happens when you rise up against the Romans. And this is also why they put the billboard over his head, King of the Jews. Now, there's one more aspect of this that I think is important for us to recognize, just the longevity. I already mentioned it lasted for hours, even days. We hear through the, the accounts of the scriptures that Jesus was on the cross from anywhere between about three to maybe nine hours. And that's fairly ambiguous given the different, the, the different accounts, but that's, that's a fair amount of time, right? Three hours is a long time, nine hours is a long time, but that was actually very, very short for what it normally could be. The stories also tell us that the other two criminals, the other two people that were executed with him, had their legs broken eventually, and this would have been considered a mercy. When they come by and break the legs of that individual, no longer can they force their weight down against that, that pin that's holding their feet in to lift themselves up and get a breath. So even though it sounds brutal, it was actually considered a mercy to those who were being crucified because it allowed them to suffocate and die. This whole thing was horrific and horrible and intended to be an example of this is what happens when you stand up against the Romans. Now again, the sign over Jesus' head was king, king of the Jews. So let's think about this whole king thing. That's the theme of the day when we think about Christ as king. And this is a really, really weird situation to be featured when we think about Jesus as a king. We think about his death, and that's odd. But think about kings. Now, for those of us in the United States or those of us in countries that don't have monarchs, perhaps this is a little bit difficult to wrap our heads around. Admittedly, my familiarity with the monarchy pretty much ends with Netflix's show The Crown or the various interviews that we've seen with the royals in which they sit down with Oprah or Diane Sawyer. I'm not super familiar, but what I do know about kings is that they are political leaders, and as the political leader of a nation, they are intended to lead the people, guide the people, protect the people, and these are important things. Now, in addition to a king or a monarch doing this, there is also another profession, if we want to use that word, that does a similar situation, even if the subjects are different, and that's a shepherd. 
Think about it. A shepherd leads the flock. A shepherd cares for the flock. The shepherd protects the flock. Perhaps this is the reason that in Jewish history, particularly through much of the Old Testament, starting about a thousand years before Jesus with the monarchy that existed in the Jewish nation, this is why the kings were oftentimes referred to as shepherds. And it's almost an interchangeable term because they're tasked with doing the same thing even if it looks very different. Now, I believe that Jesus is showing us his kingship in the midst of this horrific, horrible moment. Admittedly, here in the Christian church, we profess the faith that somehow, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is overcoming the powers of brokenness and sin and death that is a part of every single one of us. Every single one of us, Jesus is somehow making forgiveness possible. I don't know how it works. I wish I could explain it in a way that, that would mark off all the scientific check marks to let us see, okay, well, I get how that works. I can't do it, but we believe it, we profess it, and we take it on faith that God is going to do what God promises. Now, here's the thing. The very first statement that we hear from Jesus as he's being crucified, literally as he's being nailed down, is forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is offering protection in advocating for forgiveness from this brokenness in the midst of it happening. But then things go on from there. And we have this exchange that happens with the guy that I call the good criminal. One of the other things that I talk about oftentimes in terms of our faith and what we are called to do as broken people is to be honest about ourselves. God calls us good, but we are not perfect, and that brokenness is a part of us. And this guy, he's honest. When the other criminal on, hanging on the other side says, hey, why don't you save yourself and bring us along for the ride too? He doesn't say that. He doesn't ask for that. He's honest about himself, and he says, we deserve what we're getting. We have been condemned justly. He is honest about that. And then he looks at Jesus, and he doesn't make the request, hey, save us. He asks Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus responds with what I believe, what I believe with every atom of my being to be the single most important promise that Jesus makes throughout all of the scriptures. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds pretty favorable. It sounds pretty good. It sounds like whatever lies ahead for this guy in that moment, which sounds like death, and in fact, he did die, Jesus has made the promise that not even death is going to keep us separated. You will be with me in paradise, whatever that looks like. And my friends, that is the promise of the gospel, that somehow through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is overcoming the power of brokenness, the power of sin, the power of death, and makes the promise to every single one of us that not even death will overcome my love for you and my claim for you as beloved child. I oftentimes say every time there's a funeral that when the story of every single person is written, and that includes you, death doesn't get the last word, God does. And that last word is you are mine and you will be with me in paradise, the same promise that we hear from Jesus. Now, folks, here's the thing. I believe and I profess that God's mercy and love is for all people. But we also have a practice, a moment that was actually instituted and commanded by Jesus in the scriptures, which makes it a sacrament, fancy word, 
that says or that gives us a tangible way to hold on to these promises that are made by God and that promise of that claim of beloved child. And that is a practice called baptism. In the action of baptism, in the washing of the water, we profess the faith. We cling to the faith that the promises of God that are made to every single one of us somehow become tangible so that in the years to come when we experience doubt or fears or concerns, we can look and say, no, it is for me, and I know that because the promise comes to me through the waters of baptism. I think of this today because this weekend, we've got a lot of baptisms happening here in my congregation. We've got two brothers that are being baptized during worship, and then later on in the day, we've got another baptism that's happening. So for these three different individuals, they will have this tangible moment And it is a wonderful moment. It's wonderful both for the individual and for the families that are involved, but it's also wonderful to serve as a reminder for every single person that witnesses it that we too can remember the promises made tangible for us in our baptisms. And if you're not baptized, I still believe the promises of God are for you, but the tangible nature of baptism is a wonderful, wonderful gift. That gift, that promise, that claim of God says that one day when all of this junk is over and we, each one of us as individuals, experience whatever it is that lies on the other side of death, the promise that we hear from Jesus, I believe is the same for each one of us as well. You will be with me in paradise. May you cling to that promise in times of doubt or fear or concern, knowing that it is for you. Amen.